0: On that note. All right. Um, so, Philippians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be reading the first 11 verses. So, Philippians 3 1 through 11. And this is what the word of the Lord says Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And to write the same things to you is no trouble for me, and it is safe. For you, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. from God that depends upon faith, that I may know him that is Jesus and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is God's word. Father, we ask that you would write the truths of this passage on our hearts, Lord, I pray that you would be at work among us, and we ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. So, if you have ever, if you've ever tried to learn an instrument, or if you have ever, uh, ever seen other people try to learn an instrument, you see that, generally speaking. Uh, it is not something that people instinctually can just pick up and play. In fact, most of the time, you will see that when, uh, when you first get the instrument, uh, your instinct on how to play it is wrong. In fact, if you've ever taken guitar lessons or piano lessons or anything like that, it's like as soon as you meet with someone who is a professional, they're usually like telling you that you're doing 87 things wrong before you've even tried to play, right? And I, I remember, a, uh, a, I have several uh, fond memories of, um, of my uh, nieces and, and nephews. Uh, my brother has five kids. Okay, um, and so I remember them coming into my room um, at one point, and I was practicing some worship songs. And um, I remember them coming into my room and listening. And sometimes they would jump up and down on the bed while I'm playing. And then they would uh, they would come and they would be like, "I try, can can I can I try?" And so I'd hand them their guitar. And their instinct was not to make chord shapes and to strum this beautiful thing. Uh, their instinct was to do this. So, like, smack the outside of the guitar and, like, beat on the strings. And it was like their instinct was wrong, right? What they, how they thought they should play the guitar was incorrect. And tonight, in the passage that we're looking at, Paul is actually trying to, uh, once again, he's trying to prepare the Philippians for the reality that there's a real possibility that he may not be released from prison, but rather could be executed. And so he is giving them this next section about a particular group of people that uh, think they know how to live rightly before God, but in reality, they don't know what pleases God. And so if you're taking notes or if you have the handout in front of you, you'll see that the main theme of this passage, what we're, what we're gonna talk about, is that if you desire to live rightly before God, then you must put your confidence completely in Christ. If you desire to live rightly before God, then you must put your confidence completely in Christ. So to give you guys just a little bit of backstory What was happening in this particular uh, instance with these particular uh, people that Paul is warning the Philippians about is they were part of a group called the Judaizers, okay? And the Judaizers were essentially, they were importing certain parts of the Old Covenant into the New Covenant, importing certain Old Testament practices into the, the church, and they were saying, Okay, yes, have faith in Jesus, but you also have to do these things in order to be saved, i.e. circumcision was one of the ones that, the, that was really important to them. And Paul is trying to protect these Philippians, and he's saying, no, it's not Jesus plus something else. It's Christ alone. Faith, as Martin Luther might say, it's uh, faith in Christ alone alone. And his work that saves us. And Paul is trying to protect these Christians from this, this uh, error that was coming into the church. And this on the face of it, might not sound like something that is particularly relevant to you guys because you don't, probably don't know a lot of Jewish people and you're probably not running into a lot of people who are confused about the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament and, and all of that. But this is relevant for you because either consciously or subconsciously, you are actually like the Judaizers in some ways because subconsciously, Sometimes we believe that if we're good enough, will, we'll say, yes, Jesus, but also if we're good enough, Jesus will love me a little bit more than somebody else. If I'm good enough, maybe Jesus will love me a little bit more than he, did, than he does when I'm bad. And Paul is trying to correct that, that way of thinking, and he's saying that the gospel is not... Uh, Jesus plus something else, Jesus plus working harder, it's Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Faith in Jesus is what saves. We were just talking about this in Roots, actually. Uh, It is a temptation for us to think that if we do enough good deeds, that that will somehow outweigh the bad ones. But here's what the Bible says. The Bible says this, is that your sin will always outweigh your good deeds. Sin is always heavier than good deeds in the, the scales of uh, salvation, if you will. The only thing that saves is faith in Christ. Alone, confidence in Christ alone. But we're hardwired to think this way. We really are. We we think uh, that if we can do something that makes us uh, commendable to God, then maybe He'll be okay with us. But the truth is, is everything that you could ever offer God, apart from faith in Christ, will never be commendable enough. Your best efforts are only accepted if you are in Christ. Isaiah had this to say. He said, all of our righteousness is like a dirty rag. In other words, the only only righteousness that God will accept is the righteousness that's a gift from Christ to his people. So this passage is very relevant for us. And so if we're talking about living rightly before God and, and someone who lives rightly before God is someone who puts their confidence completely in Christ, then we should ask the question, what, what, kind, of a, what kind of a person is this? What, is it, what does it look like? How can you tell if you, if you stumble across someone who, who is putting their, their confidence completely in Christ. What does that look like? Well, in this passage, Paul actually gives us three things that uh, are characteristics of someone who's putting their confidence completely in Christ. The first is that this kind of a person is constantly rejoicing in the Lord, is constantly rejoicing in the Lord. The second thing is that this person is constantly watching for wrong thinking, constantly watching for wrong thinking. And thirdly, this kind of a person, the one who puts their confidence completely in Christ, is seeking to know Jesus more. Okay, let's talk about that first one. Okay, so rejoicing in the Lord. Look at verse one there. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and it is safe for you. So that word finally there, um it 's almost like paul is he it 's almost like he 's getting ready to wrap up here, but in a typical preacher fashion. He thinks of, oh, I must, wake, I must make maybe another point. And he elongates the sermon uh, or the message just a little bit longer. And if you've ever sat under my teaching or, or any other preacher, it's a, it's a pretty common, uh, common occurrence. It's hard to land the plane. You're like, oh, I got to say one more thing. And so it kind of seems like that's what's happening here. Like He wanted to end, but then he's like, oh, I got to tell him about these dudes. And so he, he starts talking about, uh, about this, this next section here. But before he talks about uh, the, the problem, if you will, the, the thing that, that he needs to warn them about, he tells them about something else. He says, finally, my brothers, here, I'm going to say something that I've already said to you a lot of times, but I really want you to get it. Rejoice in the Lord. And we've talked about how over and over again, even in the passage just prior uh, in verse uh, 18, he says, likewise, be glad and rejoice with me. Verse, uh, the two, verse 29, uh, receive Epaphras in the Lord with all joy. Verse uh, chapter one, verse 25, Paul says that his ministry is for their progress and joy in the Lord. So Paul For him, joy is not something that is a secondary issue, but rather it is something that should characterize the person who is putting their trust completely in Jesus. Why is that? Well, I I think it's because of this. Joy, like nothing else, shows that you really believe the gospel, shows that you really believe Get it that you really understand all that God has done for you in and through Jesus. You really understand the the length, the height, the depth, and the width of God's love for you, displayed in Jesus. If you think about it like this, if uh, imagine that you came up to someone, Jack. Okay, imagine that you came up to to someone that you really care about, uh, maybe you're dating or married, okay? And uh, imagine that you you ask them, hey, do you love me? And then imagine if the person said, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess. You would, in that moment, you would not feel very reassured of their love. I guess. But if you got a response that said, of course I do. Jack, you're my favorite person. I love you. You would be be happy about that, right? Why? Because the person is taking joy in the relationship with you. And the same is true for our relationship with Christ. Joy is not something that can just be uh, thrown away like it's irrelevant. Jesus is the most important person in the universe, and yet, oftentimes we treat him like he's just uh, the bag of chips that comes with your sandwich. Mm. Jesus is the foundation of all joy, and God calls us; He commands us to rejoice in Him, to rejoice in the Lord. And this is this is this kind of joy really shows that you understand the gospel, really understands that you get it. So my question for you is, are you someone who rejoices in the Lord? Does your heart desire to be constantly delighting in God? Or are you like the little kid at Christmas, who upon receiving all of the gifts focuses on those gifts and delights in them and takes joy in them and forgets to remember where they came from? Are we ungrateful people? Are we people who do not recognize the source of all of the love and blessings that we have received? If you're honest, more often than not, your answer to this question and my answer to this question is, no, we do not rejoice in Jesus the way that we should. And so the challenge to you guys and to me is for us to begin to think about, to meditate on the ways that Jesus has been kind to you, on the love that God has poured out in your life, whether that's the fact that he's given you a family, given you friends, given you uh, food, shelter. All of these things are common kindnesses of God that we just take for granted like, like God owes them to us. These are the kindnesses of the Lord. But beyond all of that, if you had none of those things and you had your sins forgiven that would be more than sufficient because there's really only two ways that your sin can be dealt with, okay? Two ways. One is you pay for it in in hell for eternity. That's how sin can be dealt with. You're on the hook for your sin or sin is dealt with at the cross. Jesus bearing the penalty for your sin after he lived a perfectly righteous life that you and I could never live, and then by faith, when you come to him, God treats you as though you lived that perfect, sinless life, and, and he doesn't pour out the penalty for your sins on you because he poured out his wrath on Jesus. All of that should cause us to rejoice much more than it does. Joy is not something that is inconsequential. It is essential. Now, I'm not saying, hear me, I'm not saying that if you are you know, less than joyful, you're not a Christian. I'm just saying maybe you haven't contemplated the gospel deeply enough. Okay, so rejoicing in the Lord constantly. Two minutes, here we go. Uh, second is uh, watching for wrong thinking. Look at verse two there. He says, look out for the dogs. These are not literal dogs, okay? Uh, Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, okay? So in verses two through seven here, um, Paul, he first begins by warning about these people that have this wrong thinking. They have this wrong perspective that it's Jesus plus some of these old covenant elements brought in that equals salvation, okay? And Paul uses his own life as an illustration. And he says, if that were true, then I would definitely be saved. If you look at what he says, he gives his his examples here of of his own uh, righteousness, if you will. He says in verse... um, Verse 5, he says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, uh, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And so he goes through and he lists all of these things. Now, we know that Paul doesn't see himself as blameless because Paul, who wrote the letter of Philippians, also wrote Romans chapter 7, who says, the thing that I want to do, I don't do. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Okay, so Paul does not have this high opinion of himself that he is truly righteous. What he's saying is is his life before Christ, he lived his life uh, with uh, a high degree of obedience to God's commandments in the Old Testament, and yet that was insufficient. Yet he did not have the righteousness that is from God that we see in verse 9. And that is the only righteousness that saves. The righteousness that is is a gift from Jesus. And so Paul, he's warning these Christians and he's saying, watch out for this wrong thinking. And this is, this is very relevant for us nowadays as well because there's really two areas where we can we also can experience wrong thinking. There's there's influences from without, and there is wrong thinking that can come from within that can arise from our own sinful hearts. Uh, a great example of this of this this uh, wrong thinking from without coming in is I was just at Starbucks before uh, coming here tonight, and I saw on the wall in a big rainbow letters, love is love, or was, love is love, or love love wins. Now, on the face of it, when you see that, you think, oh, that, that sounds nice, right? But then when you think about what they're actually saying, they're saying that we have the right to define what love is. We have the right to decide who we can and cannot be in a relationship with, a romantic relationship with. If you, uh, you guys, if you haven't had a conversation like this, you will have a conversation like this in the future. But imagine that you are speaking with someone and they tell you, I'm gay, okay? Imagine you're having this conversation and they know that you're a Christian and they ask you, what do you think about that? And you, being a Christian who believes the Bible, would say, well, uh, I think it's a sin. And then they would say to you, I can't believe you would think that. How could you think that? Are you an, you are so unkind. You are, apparently you're not a loving person. And that would sound like a plausible argument at first, right? Because it was was almost like you, you feel like you're trying to deprive that person of something that is basic, right? Love. But Paul in Colossians, he says this. He says, be careful that you don't get tricked by plausible sounding arguments. That sounds like a plausible argument, but then when you dig into it a little deeper and you say, okay, who gets to define love? Well... The God who is love gets to define what love is and should look like. Who gets to determine what humanity should do? Well, I think logically it makes sense that the the one who created humans should be the one who gets to say what we can and cannot do. Well, that's God. And so we need to work through logically the wrong thinking that is coming at us from without and logically work through it and hold it up to the light of scripture and examine it and say, you know what? This is wrong. This is not the right way to think. This is not how God tells me to think. So that's an illustration of wrong thinking from without, but also wrong thinking can come from within. And we already alluded to this earlier, but the, but the idea that maybe... And this isn't always a conscious thing. Um, I've experienced this. I guarantee you, some of my leaders have experienced this at some point. But there are days when you just blow it, when you just mess up and you know that you messed up and you think, this is it. This is the big one. This is when Jesus kicks me out of the family. I've disgraced the family and now I'm toast. That is a works plus Jesus mentality. That's right. The gospel is not Jesus loves Steve more if he does really well on Monday. But the gospel is Jesus loves Steve every single day. And while Steve was an ungodly sinner, I know that's hard to imagine for you guys now, But while Steve was an ungodly sinner, Jesus died for him. While Luke was an ungodly sinner, Jesus died for him. The gospel corrects our wrong thinking because it tells us that salvation is in Christ alone. So we have to be people who watch out for wrong thinking And lastly, we see in this passage that the person who is putting their confidence completely in Christ, a a, a final characteristic that we can see in this passage is that they are someone who is seeking to know Jesus more, okay? Look with me at verse 8. So Paul says, indeed, I count everything as loss. In other words, this whole life that I used to live as a Pharisee, as someone who uh, was looked up to in the Jewish community, all of that I count as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That word knowing there is in the present tense, so it's something that's ongoing, okay? Okay. So everything else, all the fame, money, status, all of that, he counts as that word rubbish there. Fun fact is the word for doo-doo, okay? Counts all of that as poop compared to knowing Jesus, okay? Verse 10, he says, that... Right So verse nine he says i don 't want to have a righteousness just from uh, i don 't want to uh, try to establish you know a, a relationship with God based on my own obedience, but rather, I want the righteousness that is a gift from God through faith in Jesus, and he wants to know Jesus, verse ten. And so Paul explains in these last few verses that the most valuable thing. In his life is Christ and getting to know him more and more. And this is something that Paul, if you read a little bit further, he he says in verse 12, he's like, I haven't even achieved this goal yet. And this is the Apostle Paul, okay? It's like, I haven't achieved this goal, but in the next section he's saying, I'm pressing on. I'm seeking to know Christ more. And so it is an active thing. Paul is not sitting on his hands waiting for Jesus to just show up and speak to him, but rather, Paul is active. He's studying the scriptures. He's praying. He's spending time among the people of God. There's an activity that is happening as he pursues he seeks to know jesus more and more and this is true of virtually all relationships and yet sometimes we treat jesus like he like it's our relationship with him is not like a normal relationship if you want to get to know somebody you take the initiative right now, for instance when Lindsay came through my line at safeway uh five years ago now um five years ish somewhere around there um close to six, when she came through my line at Safeway, I thought, wow, this girl's good looking. I should uh, strike up a conversation with her, right? So I started talking to her about her tattoo. I took initiative, yes? And the same can be said for your relationship with Christ. Do you take initiative? Do you take action? Are you seeking to know him? Because someone who has put their confidence completely in Christ, someone who is rejoicing in Jesus, someone who is seeking to think rightly about Jesus will also be someone who recognizes the preciousness of Christ, who rejoices in the love that Jesus has shown to him and will be seeking to know the one who has loved them with a love that is incomprehensible. So can you... Say the same as the Apostle Paul. Do you think that everything in this world is rubbish compared to knowing Jesus? If we're really honest, more often than not, the answer is no. And yet Jesus is worth so much more than everything else in this world. And so someone who has put their confidence completely in Christ is someone who sees the value of Jesus, sees that he is worth every song that we could ever sing, as that one song says. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. And so for us, we, here's my challenge to you, is that you be someone, if you consider yourself a Christian, who is seeking to know Jesus more. Don't just show up on Sunday night and expect me to spoon feed you the word, though I delight to do that, and it is my joy to share the word of God with you. But you seek to know Jesus on your own. In your daily lives, as you open the Word, come with expectancy, expecting that God will speak to you, that Jesus will make Himself known to you. Don't just read the Bible like it's a another textbook in your school uh, curriculum. It's not. It's the Word of God is living and active, and God speaks. Jesus speaks through the Word, but are we listening? So I'll close with this. At the beginning, we, we talked about how uh, there's a right way and there's a, there's a wrong way to, uh, to play musical instruments. And it is so easy for us to think that what God wants is mere obedience. Okay, hear this, what I'm about to say to you. God does not want mere obedience He wants heart allegiance. God does not just want you to obey. He wants your heart. He wants you to love him with all that is within you. And so when we approach our relationship with God, as these people that Paul is talking about in this passage, when we approach it as though uh, it's, Jesus plus something else, we're, we're doing it wrong. We're slapping the guitar instead of strumming the strings. God desires for us to put our confidence completely in Christ. And as we do that, he desires for us to rejoice in him, to think rightly about him, and to seek to know him more. May God do that for us. Let's pray.